the scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 19, verse 13 to 30. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of God. Thank you, Nahi. It's a good word. All right, so now I'm going to um, invite Pastor David, who will be continuing uh, our sermon series through the book of Matthew. So last week, uh, he preached a really good message um, on what the Bible teaches about marriage and divorce. So if, if you were away um, or didn't catch that, would encourage you to check it out on the podcast. Uh, it's a really good message. Um, but now, as I uh, ask Pastor Dave to come up, why don't we give him a warm welcome as he comes to preach the Word of God. Thanks again for uh, the awkward clap, guys. <laughs> I feel like uh, it's like kind of halfway. It's like you either don't clap or just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was a warm welcome. Thank you so much. Um, hey, guys, would you join me as I pray before we get into God's Word? Uh, God, I pray uh, with your church gathered here today. Uh, and Lord, we thank you that you've given us your Word. Thank you that as finite human beings, we can actually see and understand an infinite God. And we want to hear from you today. That's what we want. We don't just want to come here and go through the routine of church. We actually want to hear you speak to us into our lives. Uh, so I pray that you ask our, I, I ask that you would help our minds to understand, but also our hearts to grasp uh, these great truths in your word. Uh, thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So um, this past week, I was scrolling through Facebook, as many of us do, right? When we have some time. Um, I, and I found something a little harrowing, something a bit saddening. Um, I found out that someone I knew had died. Uh, this was a person I met maybe about 10, 12 years ago. Um, I had lost touch with him. I hadn't really, you know, had a solid kind of friendship with him. But I had actually met this person, had conversations with them. And uh, about two to three years ago, she had shared on her Facebook profile that she had been diagnosed with cancer. It was a really tough diagnosis. Uh, she had, you know, two young children at the time as well. And she had posted this stuff on Facebook not to flaunt or not to, you know, gain attention to herself, but just to ask for prayers. So I, I remember you know, a couple of years ago reading that and just stopping in my tracks th throughout my day. I just took some time to pray for her and her family, and, and that was it. I prayed that God would heal her. Um, and earlier this week, I saw a post made by her family uh, saying that she had died. And it was really jarring. Um, someone I knew, someone who was my age, we're not talking about someone who's a lot older, someone who I'd actually met and conversed with, had died. And she was a Christian, and like I said, she had been quite publicly sharing her journey of cancer on Facebook. Um, and I just went to her profile, and I was kind of just re-taking in a lot of the stuff that she had been sharing. And um, I saw something that she had written at the peak of her illness, when the cancer had metastasized throughout her whole body and her, her lungs were filled with fluid and she couldn't breathe properly. This is what she wrote. She said, I know some people wonder why um, I still believe in God because it seems like he's not listening to my prayers and is letting me suffer. I don't have all the answers. All I know is that God's ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. He's a miracle worker and promise keeper. I've been so blessed my entire life. He has never failed me. Healing will either happen now on this side of heaven or when I see Jesus face to face. Either way, all this pain and suffering is temporary. I get to look forward to spending eternity with my loved ones through Christ Jesus. I don't know where you're at today <laughs> with Christianity, but if you're here today, I think that on some level, this means something to you. I think that on some level, the idea of life after death, it means something to you. And what is this certain, rock-solid hope for eternal life that enters into real life, the trenches of life, now, that we see uh, in this friend, in this person. It's present in life, whether your life is going well, and it's, it's, it's all great, or whether your body is ravaged with cancer and death is looming. Right, this real hope of eternal life, it's central to the gospel. It's the hope of the gospel. And the question is, how can we have this kind of certainty? I believe it starts by asking the right question. 
And in our text today, thankfully, uh, someone asks that question for us. Matthew chapter 19, um, a rich young man, that's all he's identified as, we don't get a name, he asks Jesus this question, what good must I do to have eternal life? And it's a question that is coming from a guy for who all accounts has made it. Right? He's called the rich young man. Right? He's got a long, prosperous life ahead of him. No worries. He's got the dough. He's got the capability to, ca- to, to take care of himself. It's not a question that's being asked by someone on their deathbed. It's being asked by this guy. And in all of us... I think we can identify with this because, you know, whether life is going well or it's not going so well and we're in the trenches of life, all of us have an understanding that life is temporary, don't we? And we have a genuine concern, whether it's not that big or it's quite big right now, about life after death, eternal life. So how can we have this kind of certain hope of eternal life? Let's answer, answer this question that this rich young man has asked Jesus. I think it's a good question. You know, if you only had one question you could ask Jesus, I think this is a great one to ask him. Verse 16, he says, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And the way that Jesus is going to answer this as we look at our text today is he's going to break it up into smaller parts. And the first thing that he starts with is, what is goodness, right? That's the starting point of this guy's question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And out of that comes this question. What does it mean to be good? What does it mean to do good? What is goodness? And Jesus answers this question in verse 17. He says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And Jesus is answer is basically this. He's saying, well, no one's really good. None of us are. Only God is good. And he's pushing back on how we use words, how we even define goodness, how we think about goodness. You know, something that we do each to each other or we ask each other all the time is, how are you? Right? How are you doing? How are you going? And often we say, I'm good. Yes. <laughs> It's like 99% of the time, I'm good. It's a bit of a non-answer, isn't it? It doesn't really say much, and I think it's because there's nothing to compare it to. And so I actually think when we ask that question and someone says to us, I'm good, we should follow up with, compared to what? <laughs> like, how were you yesterday <laughs> or the day before? Like, c- what are you comparing this to? What, what do you mean when you say, I'm good? That's how we can actually get a sense for what it actually means to be good. (laughs) Good is a relative term. Things are are good or they're bad relative to some kind of standard. And what Jesus is saying here is only God is good. And that's a standard. That's the perfect ultimate standard that, that, that we have to have. Otherwise, goodness is just whatever the majority of people at a given point in time, in a culture, in a point point in history, just make it out to be. And so that's what Jesus starts off with. He says, God is the only one who is good. He's talking about God's character. 
who He is. God is the ultimate standard of goodness, and therefore for us, living in the way that He commands us to live, keeping His commandments, that is what it means to be good. But Jesus doesn't just leave it at that. He actually challenges this rich young man. So the guy asks Jesus, okay, so you've told me about this need for a standard of goodness, a perfect standard, and, and God is that standard. I know his commands, but which of his commands are you talking about? Like, can you give me specifics? Which commands do I have to keep? And Jesus draws from the Ten Commandments here, but what's really interesting is he leaves out the first four commandments, and he says in verse 18, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these are commandments five uh, through to ten, and if you Uh, look at the Ten Commandments, the second half, which Jesus is talking about here, these are the commandments related to um, our neighbor, right? Our horizontal relationships. And the rich man answers Jesus, and he's super confident, right? I'm picturing, like, he's kind of waiting for Jesus to tell him the specifics, and immediately in verse 20, he's like, yeah, I've kept all of them. All of these have I kept. What do I still lack? You know, some people look at this answer and say, see, like, all I really have to do to be a good person, to get into heaven, is, like, I just got to avoid the big stuff. Like, I just, as long as I don't kill someone, as long as I don't rob a bank or commit perjury, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm good. And apparently this rich young man has done all of those things. But isn't it so interesting that it says, here, what do I still lack? This rich man, he knew that he lacked something. And that's why I still asked Jesus, I've kept them all, but, but what do I still lack? And it's a real window, it's a glimpse into the human condition, all of us, that deep down, no matter how many good things we do, it's, it's just not enough. It'll never be enough. There'll always be hidden things and flaws behind closed doors that we don't show other people. And so Jesus says to him in verse 21, and it's really interesting, uh, and this account also appears in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, In Mark, he just adds this detail. He says, Jesus looks at this young man and he loves him. So that's that's the perspective, that's the motivation behind what Jesus is saying. It's from love. He says, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And what we see next is honestly one of the most sad and heartbreaking things that you'll see in in the entire Bible. This guy is asked, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Jesus said, this is it. Sell everything you have. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. And it says in verse 22, When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. But how I think this should actually read is, is, is like this. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for great possessions had him. He 
what good deed must I do to have eternal life? I think it's pretty clear the answer is none. There are not enough good deeds that you can do in your life, in your entire life, whether you live to 100 or 50 or whatever, uh, to actually meet God's requirements for goodness. Because God is God, and we're not. God is holy. God is perfect. That's what it means to be God. And that's what this rich man lacked. It's what you and I lack. This understanding at times. Goodness is not what we make of ourselves. Goodness is, is actually what God makes of us. When we stop looking inwards and we stop actually depending on ourselves, we stop relying on ourselves, even though that's naturally what we're inclined to do, and we completely turn and trust in the only person who has actually met all of God's requirements, Jesus, and we follow him. That's what Jesus is asking this rich man to do here. That's what Jesus is asking us to do, to have eternal life. The alternative, the alternative is to walk away. There's no in-between. There's no trailing Jesus from 30 meters away. It's just you follow him or you don't. The alternative is to walk away from Jesus and you'll be bigger. You'll be richer for it. But you'll be sadder and you'll be deader. So that's the first part of this rich young man's question that Jesus tackles. What does it mean to be good? Right? It's not actually about doing good deeds. It's about trusting in the only one who is good, who has been good and has fulfilled God's requirements. But secondly, he touches on uh, the danger of riches. So he turns around at this point. Rich young man has gone off. turns to his disciples and he gives them this warning about riches um, because they've just seen something unfold here before them in this rich young man. This is what Jesus says in verse 23. Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's a really interesting image, uh, right? Trying to fit a camel through the eye of a needle. Um, it's just, you know, it's just not possible, right? Or it's just, it's, it's hyperbole. And, you know, a lot, of us, a, a lot of the time we see this passage and um, we'll, we'll think, oh, is Jesus categorically condemning wealth and riches? Because, to be honest, um, in Australia, in Sydney, uh, you know, we're some of the richest people in the world. Jesus isn't categorically condemning wealth. And we don't see Jesus in the Bible every time he comes across a guy who's a bit wealthy or who's rich, he doesn't tell them, hey, go sell everything and follow me. This is the only time it happens. It's a really specific command, one instance. Uh, There's a tragic incident that happened in 1845. A group of English explorers, they went to an expedition to the North Pole and they took two pretty sizable ships and um, instead of storing additional coal for the journey, they used that space for a library, um, for drinks, for an organ, uh, for fine china, for goblets. And when they ran out of coal, right, their books, their teacups, uh, their musical instruments, they weren't enough to, to warm their freezing bodies. And all 128 people died on this expedition. And years later, uh, they sent a search party out 
and they found the remains of some of the men who had set off to walk from the ships to try to look for help. And they discovered one skeleton dressed in fine blue silk, a uniform, grasping in his hand um, some sterling silver dinnerware. And that's the picture that Jesus is painting here. The rich young man, he's trying to carry all of his possessions through this tiny entrance into the kingdom of God. It's like a camel trying to fit through the eye of a needle. And so Jesus isn't condemning all wealth. He's not guilt-tripping us. But he's pointing to the general truth that wealth and possessions uh, can often be barriers to surrender. All right? Because here's how it works. With wealth, there's always something more on earth to buy or to look forward to. Does that describe a lot of us? I, I, I know that describes me at times. With wealth, we start to believe that every, everything and anything can actually be had for a price if you, if you just work hard enough. With wealth, there is a self-security and a self-reliance that makes it so hard to surrender to Jesus. There's actually a lot about the rich young man that we can relate to. None of us are going to go around calling, our, calling ourselves, you know, I'm, I'm a rich young man, I'm a rich young woman, right? But actually, this guy is not to be viewed at a distance as some anomaly. This guy is all of us. Not because we're rolling in dough and rolling in money, but we know what it's like to have much and to have that security and that self-reliance. And there comes a point when you are ruled by your money, whether you want to admit it or not, and you cannot be ruled by God. You cannot surrender to Him and have treasure in heaven, even though that's the very thing that we lack. It's the very thing that this young man lacked as well. It's a tension that we all have. So finally, Jesus answers this guy's full question. How do we have eternal life then? It's a question that Jesus' own disciples had at this point. In verse 25, if you look there with me, it says, When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? And what they're saying is, Okay, Jesus, so on the one hand, I get it, we're not good enough to meet, Scott, to, to meet God's standards for goodness, to meet His holy requirement. And you're saying, we've got to trust in you, we've got to follow you, and then, you know, We'll be okay. But on the other hand, like, it's so hard to do that because it's so hard to not be self-reliant and self-secure in the wealth that we have, the here and the now. It gets in the way of surrender. So they're asking, like, who then can be saved? And the answer is no one. You guys know David Beckham? Um, he's a retired English footballer, probably one of the you know, best-known British footballers of all time. From the age of 21, he captained England uh, 58 times. It's a pretty young age, right? Um, he made hundreds of millions of dollars through endorsements, through just being famous, through being a great footballer. He had a movie based on him, Bend It Like Beckham. It's a great movie. <laughs> uh, in an interview that I was watching about him, he reminisces on his life, and he talks about how he was not the most talented guy. 
So he would work so hard. He would put in blood, sweat, and the tears. He'd, he'd be on the pitch before everyone. He'd leave after everyone would go home. And he had this moment in this interview. Um, it's kind of like a realization where the interview asked him, okay, can, can you tell us a bit about uh, your relationship with your dad? And he says, he starts to talk about how so much of his career was to please his dad. Right? He loved playing football, but deep down, just wanted to please his dad. Because his dad said to him when he was very young, no, I'll let you know when you've made it. Right? I'll let you know when you've made it. And the interviewer asks him, has that happened yet? David Beckham kind of looks unsure, and he says, well, you know, when I captained my 50th game for England, after that game we, we won, and my dad pulled me aside, and he did say, you've done good, boy. But that's it. And the way that David Beckham is wired, it's actually the default way that all of us are wired. And we're, we're wired to live in the same way, to, to work hard, to earn things, to, to do good things, to try and be the best version of ourselves that we can be, to try to be a good person, right? be a good husband, be a good dad, be a good friend, a good colleague at work, uh, because that's how we think we'll make it. And even as Christians, even in our relationship with God, that default hardwiring, it like permeates in how, like our relationship with God, how we relate to Him. And so for all of us, we just want to hear say, God, you've done, God say to us, you've done good, right? You've made it. You're safe now. But we don't qu quite trust that he'll say that to us, so we do anything and everything that we can to save ourselves. We're, we're wired to be, uh, as Tim Keller puts it, our own self-salvation project. And Jesus says in verse 26, that's impossible. That is impossible. You can't do that. You can try and try, but you will not have eternal life. But with God, all things are possible. Salvation and eternal life is not a human achievement. It's impossible. I know many of us like to achieve things, goal-oriented. We have some high achievers. We have, I think all of us, we, we like to achieve things. Jesus is saying, when it comes to salvation and eternal life, it's nothing that you do, no matter how admirable, no, ma no matter how charitable, no matter how good it makes you feel, no matter how much it helps someone in the midst of a dire situation, it just won't be enough to save you to eternal life. Salvation from start to finish is a miracle of God. And it goes back to this question of goodness. And here's what the gospel says. The gospel says, you're not good. You're not a good person. You have no goodness within yourself to present before God. And neither do I. None of us do. And no matter how much we try to pull from the inside, pull from our achievements, it's just not enough for eternal life. 
But the gospel says, okay, but what if someone outside of us, someone who is good, someone who has kept God's standard, what if he loved us so much that he would do anything to give us the result of his goodness, of his good record, eternal life with God. That's the result. And that's what Jesus does. He keeps God's standard of goodness perfectly. And then he suffers and he dies. And he rises again to show us what eternal life will look like. And we believe that's what we have to do. That's the ultimate answer to this young rich man's question. We believe in Jesus. But I want to talk as we end, just in terms of application, how can we actually do that? Like, let's bring it down to kind of street level a little bit. Well, there are two bookends to our passage today. Um, so, I didn't really talk about verses 13 to, to 14, um, and then verses 28 to 30. So these are kind of two bookends that frame our passage. So verses 13 to 14, um, it's a passage about children. That's what it says. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people because they're getting annoyed that these parents are bringing young children to, to Jesus. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. It's this beautiful image of helpless, small children coming to Jesus, just running to him, while the disciples try to reject them, Jesus accepts them. And then at the very the other bookend of our passage, we see this interesting interaction you know, where Jesus has told the disciples, with God, all things are possible. That's how, that's how salvation works. You know, you believe. And Peter replies, well, we left everything to follow you, Jesus. What will we get? And, you know, we've looked at Peter throughout this passage, and he's made some blunders. He's said some dumb things. And maybe we look at this, and, and, and we say to ourselves, oh, it's just not like another dumb thing that he's saying to Jesus. But it's not. It's not because Peter and the apostles, they, they did give everything up to follow Jesus. They left their jobs, they left their families, they left their homes, they left behind their property to follow Jesus. So Peter is not being childish here. He's being childlike. Right? The book ends. Childlike. He's being small and dependent and very honest. And that is what I believe we must do. That's what, I th that's what I think that belief looks like in Jesus. You can't come to Jesus as a rich man, as an able man, as a good man. The moment that you think you are, you've become a camel trying to fit through the eye of a needle. To come to Jesus as a helpless, dependent, small, weak child. Zero prerequisites, zero preconditions. 
and you'll have eternal life. The kind of eternal life that breaks into life now. Whether life is good, and that's, if, if life is good for you, that's great. I, I, I'm really glad it is. I'm happy for you. But life won't always be great. We'll go through seasons of being in the trenches. And then at a point, we'll tie. That, we, we all know that. Everyone ties. What does it look like for us to consciously come like a child and believe in Jesus? What would it look like for you to consciously do that? Maybe it means tomorrow, for the first time in such a, like, you know, however long, you start the day not just by rushing into your normal routine, but you start the day by just talking to Jesus for five minutes, just in prayer. Maybe it means coming to Jesus and actually casting your anxieties and your worries, which are real and heavy at his feet and saying, help me, instead of bottling them up, instead of distracting yourself and brushing them under the rug, maybe it means that for the first time you acknowledge that after everything that you've gained, and it could be a lot, it could be comfortable, it could be awesome, after all of that stuff, you still lack something. Maybe it could be that. And to actually give that thing up that is hindering you. Just so you can follow Jesus to gain everything. Salvation. Eternal life. Echoing and breaking into life now. I really believe that's what enabled a person facing death to say with an otherworldly, rock-solid hope and confidence, I actually get to look forward to spending eternity with my loved ones uh, through Christ. You know, I... I didn't know uh, that the songs that we were going to sing today um, would be so closely connected to uh, God's Word. Um, I'm really grateful when this happens. I just kind of reminder that God is sovereign, that God's actually leading us. Um, I, I really loved uh, the chorus of you know, that second song, Hymn of Heaven. I just want to read it out. Uh, it's a glorious reality. There will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more. Standing face to face with he who died and rose again. Holy, holy is the Lord. Eternal life. It's central to the gospel. Will you believe in him? like a child. Let's pray. Father God, uh, it's such a privilege um, that we can even call you that. You're not a distant God. Uh, you're knowable and you're intimate. 
And when you save us, you adopt us into your family. You call us your children, and we can call you Father. And if we've forgotten what that actually even means, if we've become so tied up in our own self-reliance and just getting things done our way, Lord, I ask for your grace. I ask for your loving mercy to remind us and to help us to become like children again before you, to believe in you, to have this certain, sure hope of eternal life. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.